an outbreak of tornadoes hit the south early this week, a welcome dry spell came to the Red River Valley. And another piece of good news is that Midwest farmers are planning to get into the fields. We'll take a look at the spring planting outlook for Minnesota. Meanwhile, preparations are underway for spring wildfire season in the region. We get the latest from the Interagency Fire Center in Grand Rapids. We're blooming with weather news. It's jet streaming from Minnesota Public Radio. Hello again, everybody, and thanks for joining us. I'm Stephen John, sitting in again for Paul Hutner, but of course, the rest of the jet streaming team is along again as usual. Dr. Mark Seeley, professor of climatology and meteorology at the University of Minnesota, and NPR meteorologist Craig Edwards. Welcome back, gentlemen. Good to be with you, Stephen. Last few weeks, we've been talking all about flooding in the Red River Valley, but boy, these uh, crest predictions keep coming in lower and lower, and so that's good news. It sure is. Uh, I, uh, I I think that what's happened really over the last week or so, Stephen and Craig, is that we've seen the soil thaw out for the most part, start to take in some of that moisture. And, of course, to some degree, I think we're seeing ev- evaporation rates accelerate a little bit with this extraordinary dry air mass that's over our western Great Lakes region. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, Mark, you pointed that out when we talked last week about how you saw this dry spell continuing to settle over the region and that that was going to be beneficial. And I, I, I agree with you. That's exactly what I think the Weather Service is going to say when they came in on April 3rd with the prediction of 75% probability of reaching uh, 41 feet. And now we see they continue to take that down. As I'm looking at the hydrograph, the the Red River at Fargo is 34 feet. They're projecting it to be at 35.5 feet. But right now the hydrograph shows it leveling off. And I I agree with you, Mark, the drying that's occurred out there, the lack of precipitation, and again, the soil, uh, the, the frost moving out of the soil has allowed that moisture to percolate downward. So good news for the Red River Valley, and uh, the dry spell continues. That may not be such good news. We'll talk more about the effects of the dry weather here in just a moment. In other weather headlines this week, a swath of severe weather moved across a storm-weary south on Monday, killing at least two people, downing trees and cutting power to thousands of homes and businesses. The storm system that hit Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Kentucky, and northern Florida brought torrential rain, flooding, hail, and gusty winds to states still reeling from strong storms and tornadoes from the week before. A North Carolina researcher says the 2009 hurricane season for the Atlantic and Gulf coasts will be about average and slightly less active than last year. North Carolina State University professor Lian Shia predicts there will be 11 to 14 named storms during the season in the Atlantic Ocean, Gulf of Mexico, and Caribbean Sea. His team estimates six to eight storms may become hurricanes, there is a 45% chance of a hurricane hitting the southeastern U.S. coast and a 40% chance of a major hurricane hitting the Gulf Coast. Gia's prediction is in line with forecasters at Colorado State University. They estimate 12 named storms will develop this year, including six hurricanes. Last year, there were 16 named storms. Here in Minnesota, we had a couple of sure signs of spring occurring this week. The ice out on Lake Minnetonka was declared April 14th, according to the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office, right on time. Ice out on the Big Lake usually occurs on April 15th. And the state's cold weather rule has expired for this year. Minnesota's cold weather rule helps protect residential energy customers from service disconnections affecting their primary heating source. The rule is in effect annually from October 15th through April 15th. 
Even with floods, hurricanes, and tornadoes, Midwest farmers are getting out in the fields. Here to give us the spring planting outlook is Brad Carlson, farmer and extension agriculture educator in Rice County. Brad, welcome to Jet Streaming. Hello, welcome, thank you. How are things uh, in your part of the state down around Faribault this, uh, this, this morning? Well, it's beautiful today. It's a bright, sunny day, and and, uh, things are progressing pretty nicely here. Most of the farmers are out in the field getting themselves very busy. It's... uh for my line of work in the extension office, it's become extraordinarily difficult to get a hold of anybody, although uh, with uh, most everybody having a cell phone, as long as you can do enough sleuthing to find a cell phone number, you usually can track somebody down when you need to. Uh, Brad, uh, I, I wanted to talk with you briefly about uh, some trends that you might be seeing uh, in terms of agriculture. Certainly, we're quite aware that farmers today can plant more acres in a day than uh, certainly in any other time in history uh, with uh, less tillage, and uh, what about starter? What about fertilizer trends, Brad? What are we seeing more uh, starter fertilizers used, or more split applications in terms of, especially in terms of corn planting? We are seeing that, Mark, and of course with the the fall weather being, uh, you know, the fall actually wasn't all that atypical, I don't think. But what was uh, abnormal was that the crop was a little bit delayed in maturity and as it reached maturity just a little bit later in the fall and then we did not get a lot of real warm hot days in the fall like you normally would get some the crop did not dry down fast and because of that a lot of farmers kind of dragged their feet with harvest last fall and so while normally we would see a lot of fertilizer going on in the fall in many cases, a lot of farmers just sort of ran out of time because they, uh, the, the harvest was a, a little bit longer in coming than, than normal. And so there's a lot of fertilizer going on now, right now, uh, although I, it, it's, a lot of that is, can be attributed to the, the weather conditions uh, last fall uh, and, and not necessarily to a long-term trend. But we certainly are seeing the trend towards starter fertilizer. You know, a lot of our research, the university's research related to starter fertilizer, uh, and if we think back, I've been in extension 15 years now. Uh, when I first started, we would say that the research showed a benefit for plant growth for putting fertilizer on at the time of planting. But if the soil test did not indicate that, that nutrients were needed, that phosphorus and potassium were needed, uh, that early plant growth did not translate to yield. Uh, with reductions in tillage and the soils typically being a little bit colder than they would have been with, with more aggressive tillage, um, what we're seeing now is some of that early plant growth does translate into yield, and so we are seeing the trend towards more starter fertilizer than we maybe had about 15 years ago. Uh, Brad, this is Craig Edwards, and I know that there, with the Internet and the uh agricultural interests that there's a lot of data out there now even hourly forecasts going out seven days for weather information but yet the thing you can't control is you can't control precipitation events how much has developed over the course of the last 10 years or so with regard to irrigation systems across the state and places that are particularly dry uh, during the middle portion of the summer well, I, actually, to be honest with you, I don't think we've seen a great increase in the amount of irrigation that's that's happened in Minnesota. Irrigation is still a little, a little bit uh, dicey of a proposition from an economic standpoint, and so while there certainly is some, 
uh, I think in a lot of cases uh, we just simply have not uh, have not seen a great proliferation of that. I know last year, the last two years, when commodity prices really got high and and there were some really good profits, uh, a lot of farmers were talking about uh, that that putting in irrigation would pay for itself. Uh, with uh, with corn prices uh, particularly uh, coming down, and corn being the crop we grow that's probably the most sensitive to moisture, um, and a lot of that discussion has just kind of disappeared. And so uh, uh, I guess in my area, uh, in south-central Minnesota, there really isn't much because we've got heavier soils. Uh, parts of the state where we see more irrigation, Dakota County uh, specifically, and then up into the Sand Plains, that Becker area, on up towards Staples and so forth. Uh, I'm not sure that we've seen a large proliferation uh, in that area either, although I think there has been some increase. And I know parts of the state that maybe could use a little more, there's parts of Stearns County, I know particularly, and as you move on towards Alexandria, uh, a lot of the places where I've seen really burning up the last couple of years, we still really don't see much for irrigation up there uh, compared to what I guess I would perceive as a need. Brad, Mark alluded to the modern tillage techniques, and from this old farm boy's perspective, uh, agriculture has changed a whole lot from when my dad used to go out in the spring and uh, wait for that uh, field to dry out so he could get the tractor out and turn over the soil with the plow, and then he'd have to disc it and then drag it. And, you know, there was step after step after step before he actually could get out and, and plant. Tell us a little bit how how, the, how modern tillage uh, affects the timing of farmers getting out in the fields in the spring. Well, to be honest with you, modern tillage doesn't really affect the timing a whole lot at all. Uh, our rule of thumb for farmers is, is they need to be able to plant in everything that they've got in 10 days. That's for their corn planting. And so uh, what we really focus on with that is the planter as far as its ability uh, to deal with whatever the conditions are that it encounters. Now, tillage itself has, uh, uh, has evolved to the point where we are leaving a lot more residue on the surface than we ever have in the past, and in some cases uh, leaving the soil completely undisturbed. Uh, we don't see a lot of no-till in Minnesota, but we do see a tillage practice that's called strip-till, and that being you uh, use, use GIS to uh, precisely put tillage strips in across the field. Uh, more or less, you're, you're tilling about one-third of the ground and then leaving two-thirds of the ground completely undisturbed, and then you use your GIS, uh, your global positioning, to come back and plant exactly on top of those strips. And so uh, that also is leading to some higher residue levels. Uh, but specifically, the planter technology is so much better in terms of having uh, precise depth of seedbed precise seed placement and the ability to move residue out of the way uh, when it is encountered uh, that that uh, we've we've uh, more or less been able to deal with that and I would also say uh, particularly improvements in in crop genetics and uh, to some extent the uh, the addition of some of some seed treatments that allow the crop to sit in the ground in many cases for three weeks 
uh, before germinating um, has really made a difference uh, with that uh, also, and, and that's probably the biggest difference. And we've really seen the uh, uh, the optimum date of corn uh, marching backwards. Uh, uh, used to be May 1st was the time everybody got going, and then it kind of crept into the back end of April. And now people are looking at April 15th as being an ideal date to get started. Federal crop insurance allows farmers to plant as early as April 10th uh, and still get covered in case uh, for instance, they, the uh, stand got up and it all got froze, um, they would be covered by crop insurance. If they planted earlier than that date, they'd say it was too risky. Uh, but So we see a, a lot of farmers are actually going now right away on the 10th of April if the soil is fit. Say, Brad, uh, I know um, agricultural lenders uh, pay a lot of attention in terms of their uh, the practices used by the producers they lend money to. And I, I can't help but think or wonder this spring, with the economic downturn and its implications dominating the headlines this winter, what's your perception about farmers borrowing and are their margins going to be even tighter than usual this year, do you think? Um, margins most certainly are going to be tighter. Um, I... I uh personally was uh, at a uh, an event here earlier in the week uh, uh, in Minnesota we have uh, uh, something called the adult farm management program and it's run through Minskew and uh, farmers can enroll in this program and work with an instructor in the uh, m mostly the uh, technical and community college system uh, that Minskew has, uh, and this serves the purpose of uh, assisting them with their record keeping and and uh, kind of their cash flows and so forth. And each year they have a a banquet uh, where they kind of, after taxes are done and all the records are in from the last year, they summarize them all and they, and they have a little event and they kind of roll them out and here's what things look like. And, and that's always a benchmark for me because then I get to see exactly what those numbers look like. And last year was a pretty good year, but it was more or less a pretty good year because you know, for, for risk management purposes, we usually don't advise farmers to market, advance market more than, say, uh, uh, at the most uh, three-fourths of their crop, but usually even less than that. And carryover stocks from 07 to 08 were significant enough that a lot of farmers sold crop in the first part of 08 for very high prices from the 07 crop year, and that made 08 look great. Um, this coming year, those prices are down dramatically. Uh, in many cases, inputs are not. Fuel is, uh, but fertilizer is not, and seed costs are not, and so forth. And, and uh, in essence, the message we got earlier this week looking at the 09 crop budgets is most farmers are going to struggle just to break even this coming year. Uh, and so it's, uh, I don't want to say that we're in any kind of crisis mode. That certainly is not the case. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, things aren't as rosy as they were a, a few years ago. And in terms of your questions about credit, uh, um, Mark, uh, we're actually not in bad shape. And, and the reason for that is without uh, uh, getting real brand specific, uh, um, most ag financing, a large portion of ag financing that happens uh, in, well, really in the United States, the number one ag lender in the United States is Wells Fargo, uh, which I think most people would be familiar with was recently in the headlines as having had a fantastic year. Uh, Wells Fargo has no issues with uh, money availability. And then another large portion of credit comes through the ag credit system, 
um, which is somewhat of a cooperative uh, a system that more or less only deals in agriculture, and they, of course, did not participate in any of the, uh, the uh, things that uh, led to the economic downturn. And so money has been available for farmers through that system pretty readily also. A third large player in ag credit nationally, although we don't see it here in Minnesota, is Rabobank, which is a large European bank, and they, of course, are not really having those issues either. So uh, we don't see those kind of problems rippling through agriculture related to credit. Brad Carlson, thank you so much for giving us the farmer's perspective here on jet streaming today. Yeah, no problem. Brad Carlson, Extension Educator in Rice County with the uh, U of M Extension. It's hard to believe, but it was only a week or so ago that the Twin Cities got some snow, but we are indeed moving into spring wildfire season in the state. To bring us up to date on preparations is Gene Bergerson, Information Officer at the Interagency Fire Center in Grand Rapids. Gene, welcome back to Jet Streaming. Good morning. Thanks for taking some time out of what is turning out to be a very busy week. How are things looking in the fire danger situation across the state? Well, they're looking uh, pretty bad again for today. We had uh, fire weather watches and red flag warnings across the western tier of counties yesterday, and those have moved across central Minnesota and into southeast Minnesota. So we're looking for another day of exceptionally low humidities, high winds, and warm temperatures, which is good for those starting to enjoy the spring outdoors, but it certainly isn't good for those of us in the fire business. Uh, Gene, Mark Seeley here. Uh, I'm wondering if you could update us or what became of that uh, grass fire that broke out yesterday along Highway 61 uh, down in South Central or uh, near Shakopee. Uh, they worked on that through most of the afternoon. They did bring it under control. We had a helicopter that was actually dispatched and, and worked on it until probably about uh, 4.30 or 5, and I'm sure there's still some you know, final mop-up today. But uh, uh, they did have it under control. They didn't lose any of the, the homes, and there were two schools fairly close down there. Uh, this is Craig Edwards, and I, when working for the Weather Service, we did the uh, fire weather forecast that included a lot of information specifically for fire management, fire control, fire preparedness. I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners what the agency does with regard to control burns, because this time of the year you actually get out and set fires to have control burns to burn off some of that grasslands. Is that still going on? Well, yesterday uh, a lot of them actually were canceled, particularly in that Western tier of the state, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has a lot of wetlands over in that area they like to do prescribed burning on, and they did not do any prescribed burning on those. We had some that took place uh, up in the northwestern part of the state where there was not those red flag conditions. But each one of those prescribed burns has a very carefully controlled window under which they conduct those burns, and that includes a wind direction, wind speed, uh, what they need for resources. So we hope, although, you know, it's not 100% foolproof, but we hope that when they uh, decide to light those, several people did prescribe burning last night when the humidity started to come up, that uh, there, those conditions will exist that won't allow those burns to escape. Uh, Gene, it's it's uh, certainly been a long winter that's taxed our patience a bit, although not necessarily record-setting. 
First nine days this month were all colder than normal. I'm wondering, are we about one good rain now away from uh, maybe seeing green up? Uh, green up would help alleviate uh, the situation quite a bit, wouldn't it? It it would, and of course, normally our green up starts in that Twin Cities area around uh, early to mid May, and uh, Craig can tell us, you know, more about when those those spring rains usually come here in the Northland. Uh, when the fires move into the more forested areas, we usually don't have green up until closer to the end of May. So we're looking at about a month of some sort of fire, spring fire season, and that is dependent on frequency of rains. It's been, I believe, what, 10 days without rain now, Craig? Yeah, 10 days without a good rainfall. Matter of fact, ever since the first of the month, has been very dry, only two hundredths of an inch at Fargo, and I think nearly uh, just a a couple hundreds are a trace down in southeast Minnesota. So one thing that has been missing is thunderstorms. If, are, are thunderstorms a concern with igniting fires here in Minnesota? We hear about that in the southwest states. Is that a concern here in Minnesota with lightning-initiated uh, thunder uh, grass fires or fires? Well, usually when we get thunderstorms initiating a fire, it's in the summertime when we have an extended drought and that lightning holds in a tree or the bowl of a tree or the roots of a tree. We usually don't have much lightning start in grassy areas. Um, I'm curious. I'm not hearing any notable precip for the next several days either, so I think we're in this for a little while yet. Gene, how active is the Interagency Fire Center uh, communicating with local uh, municipalities uh, about when they should institute burning bans. Eden Prairie this week said no outdoor fire pits and the like uh, until further notice. Um, are you in contact with the municipalities all over the region? Uh, we are, and of course that's one of the most confusing things to folks is the fire restrictions. The DNR actually has in the northern two-thirds of the state pretty much the responsibility for initiating those fire restrictions. And our fire restrictions at this time of the year say no burning permits will be issued unless it's for things like agency prescribed burns. Uh, But it does not have any restrictions on campfires, charcoal grills, those kinds of things. In the metro area, uh, most of the municipalities do those, and it can be fire department or municipalities, and they can vary and sometimes include restrictions on grills. And in the southern part of the state, it's actually the county sheriffs that do all do those. So we do try and track those and uh, put them on our website, whether it's something we've initiated or another agency. But uh, we're not always 100% foolproof on that. Mm-hmm. And I should just clarify, uh, because um, the, the fire ban, as I understand it, in Eden Prairie is for fire pits and outdoor burning, but it uh, excludes... Uh, charcoal and gas-fired grills. So folks can still grill their burgers on a beautiful spring uh, evening, but they uh, cannot sit around and uh, have an open uh, a fire, a campfire or a fire pit that could throw sparks, that kind of thing. Yeah, and we are getting to the point that, you know, people should be checking with their local municipalities and see what kind of restrictions are on because there are a lot of restrictions and a lot of variety to those restrictions. Are there times during the year, we've been talking about Minnesota specifically, but are there times during the year where where the uh, interagency fire center is coordinating uh, closely with uh, agencies out of Ontario or Manitoba along the border uh, areas? 
Yes, we do that for a couple of reasons. We share some aircraft. We have a five-mile buffer on that uh, border that we can use our aircraft to help with fire suppression. And also we move some resources back and forth. And uh, so we do coordinate with them. We also, you know, coordinate with other types of, of emergency response. Most recently, several of us were over on the flood at Moorhead, and we still have uh, part of a crew over there helping staff pumps for the second crest, which isn't going to be uh, nearly as bad as was projected. So a lot of those resources have been released and are back now. Gene, we should just all take this opportunity to just maybe have you give us a little explanation about the Interagency Fire Center. You're uh, located in Grand Rapids. We're located in Grand Rapids, and we're, we're a coordination center for predominantly fire, but any kind of emergency response, uh, not only throughout the state of Minnesota, but also if there are fires out west, we coordinate uh, resources to go to those folks and do their travel for them and get their uh, get availability lists together and those types of things. So we do equipment, personnel, and we have a, a fire cashier that supports the 21 eastern states. So uh, we have the whole ball of wax up here. And you are under the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Actually, we're an interagency center, uh, Minnesota DNR, and then federal agencies, Forest Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, BIA Park Service, and also the state emergency management is one of our partners. There you go. That's why it's interagency. That's right. And uh, spring burning restrictions, I've been hearing that there's going to be more announced uh, real soon. When can we expect to hear the uh, uh, restrictions coming out well, again? Well, we had another bank of counties go on today, basically, the the uh, Malak's, Morrison, Pine counties, those just a little north of the city, uh, Stearns County. And then uh, on the 20th, we have uh, basically the first set of northern counties going on. And the 23rd will pretty much tie us up with restrictions to the Canadian border. That will include the Arrowhead, which is usually the last part of the, the state to go on. All right. Well, we're going to count on uh, forecasters like uh, Craig Edwards to give us some rain and uh, make your job a little easier. When are we going to get some rain, Craig, of appreciable amounts, not this tenth of an inch stuff? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. I, if I had the crystal ball that gave me some definitive answers on it, I'd give it to you. But right now it looks like the best chance of precipitation is coming on uh, Saturday and Sunday. And then, uh, and then perhaps there'll be another couple of days before we see our next best chance of rain. Okay, and I understand that's not very much, so we're not going to be real hopeful about that. That's exactly right. Thank you so much, Gene Bergerson. Good luck. It's going to be a busy week, I'm sure, and weeks ahead for you. Okay, thank you. Gene Bergerson, Information Officer at the Interagency Fire Center in Grand Rapids on Jet Streaming. It's time for the website of the week. Craig, tell us about where to look for wildfire prevention information. Well, you can go on the web and you can find out every bit of information that we've been discussing with regard to fire danger at the DNR website, and that's www.dnr.state.mn.us slant forestry slant fire slant index.html. So the easiest way to find that is go to the dnr.state.mn.us slash forestry, and you'll get around the website, and you'll get every bit of restriction that you need to know about. So there'll be no excuses for not knowing and letting the fire get out of hand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, and good advice. Uh, as far as the weather word of the week, we already heard it earlier in the show. It's red flag warning. Tell us a little bit more about that, Mark. Uh, yeah, routinely used now uh, these days, Stephen, by NOAA uh, forecasters. 
it, this refers to where fire uh, 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 fire conditions are, uh, or I should say, weather situations are suitable for uh, potential extreme burning conditions. And uh, the weather forecasters with NOAA will use this term when an episode is ongoing or one is anticipated within 24 hours. Uh, of course, the landscape has to be in high to very high fire risk in the first place. But then when they see these weather situations develop, they'll start to look for criteria. For example, wind speeds of 15 miles an hour or greater, relative humidity values less than 25%, and uh, daytime temperatures uh, around 75 degrees or higher. So uh, red flag warning, in fact, uh, anybody that looks at NOAA.gov these days in the spring is probably going to see some area of the USA under a red flag warning. Is this a new term? I don't seem to recall hearing about it too much in the past. Well, Craig may know better than I. I think it's come into more common use in recent years, hasn't it, Craig? Well, yeah, we we used to come out with extreme fire danger and that sort of thing, and a lot of it was interagency, so it wasn't different to the public. But uh, you know, as we talked to, with Gene about how we uh, work with those people at the National Weather Service and the uh, fire danger threat, this red flag sort of is a red flag. It just gives you an awareness that says, "Hey, something's out there that's of danger. You better pay more attention to this." And it's particularly regarding to the dry conditions, so it's a seasonal thing that's mainly used during the spring before the green up, and then you'll hear about it maybe in the middle of summer when you have the the heat without the humidity so you have also dangerous conditions so red flag warning it seems a little bit of an old school but it's a nice term reminds me of the days of teletypes at the national weather service now more on this uh, low humidity is super dry conditions from uh, a listener feedback question this week scott mcleod of st paul uh, asks at 2 p.m on wednesday april 15th the weather sir uh, the weather service reported new ulm as having an air temperature of 66 degrees with a dew point of one degree at the same time, Death Valley, California, reported 61 degrees with a dew point of 10. Has a lower dew point ever been recorded in Minnesota when the air temperature has been above 60? Uh, furthermore, is it possible to have a negative dew point with an air temp above 60? Uh, boy, that's a tough one. My my recollection is we did... Uh, now, first off, we have these extreme conditions at certain times of the year. As Craig already alluded to, prior to spring green up. Oftentimes this is like in a time frame of April to early May, Stephen. And then in the fall, after the vegetation mm -hmm. has changed color and begins to die off for the season, so typically we might see these conditions prevail in October. I recall an October, Craig, back in the 90s, when we did have temperatures in the 60s and 70s and dew points in the negative values. Oh my but goodness. that's the one and only instance I can recall. And of course, as you and I were discussing earlier, we're not sure about the NOAA sensor technology in terms of its accuracy in measuring dew points uh, that low uh, when you have air temperatures that high because their, if you will, their precision begins to get a little, a, a little dicey when you get in those extreme conditions. Yeah, we talk about the microclimate of where these sensors might be located, and you sort of have to compare it with surrounding areas, but there are microclimates that go on near these sensors that could indeed produce dew points of below zero. So a dew point of 1 degrees with a temperature of 61, I'd, I'd say that's pretty rare in the springtime here in Minnesota. Is one reason that, that, that so low humidity, the dew points are so low, is because there there's nothing green 
producing moisture back into the air? Is that yeah, there's no, there's no surface release of water vapor out of any vegetation. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we can get evaporation off Minnesota's abundant lakes, but quite a few of them are still ice-covered, yeah. especially up in the north. But as far as the emissions of water vapor from the surface, it's very limited right now mm-hmm. until, until everything greens up. Well, enjoy the dry air because uh, even though it kind of makes tough uh, conditions for fire uh, fighters and all, it sure beats the humidity of uh, mid-August, I would say. Well, you can drop us a line anytime and pose your question to our weather team. Just go to minnesotapublicradio.org and find the Jet Streaming page on the program's drop box and go to Contact Jet Streaming on our page to submit your question online. And a reminder, our second annual Severe Weather Forum is coming up Wednesday, May 6th at 7 p.m. Still a chance for you to meet the entire Jet Streaming crew and get your severe weather questions answered in person. Our Jet Streaming pal Kathy Werzer and longtime Twin Cities meteorologist Paul Douglas will be joining us in as well as some other special guests. Tickets are free, but you'll need to reserve them. Just go to minnesotapublicradio.org and click on events. Look for the calendar on the right-hand side of the page for Wednesday, May 6th at 7 p.m. for the Jet Streaming Severe Weather Forum here at Minnesota Public Radio. Another great show. Mark, Craig, thanks for uh, letting me be a part of all this fun weather conversation. Thank you for leading this, Stephen. Yeah, always fun to be here. Last week we were talking about hopefully to getting to 60. We may make it to 70. Now let's be hopeful for some rain by the time we get to Saturday night and Sunday. We'll keep our fingers crossed. That wraps this week's show for producers Patty Ray Rudolph and Jim Bickle and technical whiz Rick Hebzinski. I'm Stephen John. Be sure to keep your ear here to jet streaming and your weather eye on the sky. 